Hello, and welcome to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode of the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, the NBA Finals, and we're going to be giving you our final thoughts on the NBA season as a whole. And we will uh, discuss where this podcast is going in the future and what we will discuss uh, since the NBA season is over. And uh, to take it from here and to give his first initial thoughts on the NBA Finals is Julius. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, Of course, normally I wouldn't necessarily go first in these spots. But, you know, it's kind of like when you're in school and you're dreading the presentation because you know it's a topic you didn't like or a class you didn't like or a teacher you didn't like. So... You just want to go first just to just to get the pain out of the way and feel good for the rest of the class and watch everybody else kind of squirm and struggle afterwards. That's why I am here. So we have to come into this episode humble today because you know, we make our predictions. We state our reasons why. And a lot of the time, dare I say most of the time, dare I say the vast majority of the time, at least one of us is right about What's going to happen? And yet we're here today and we have to discuss a series, a result that neither of us picked. So today is an accountability session. One that you don't necessarily want to do, but for the sake of integrity, you have to do. So with all that out of the way, First of all, congratulations to the Golden State Warriors. Uh, It's been a significant climb back. Uh, Not thoroughly unexpected because we knew they were down due to injuries last year, the absence of Clay Thompson in particular uh, over the course of the last couple of seasons. So it wasn't shocking that the Warriors were able to come bounce all the way back and regain their championship form. But it just was that the majority of people didn't pick that going into the season. Uh, So it's still, I guess, slight surprise that they got back to the mountaintop immediately after getting everybody back healthy. But like I said, congratulations to them. They were the better team in the finals, and that definitely showed. Certainly for the second half of the finals, they were the better team. And they left no doubt in the closeout game on the road. With that said, of course, I picked the Celtics to win the series. I went based off of the talent more so than anything else. Uh, The Warriors, a team that, you know, their best players are all 32 and up. The Celtics, they had the up-and-coming players. They had the, you know, longer, more athletic, better measurable kind of players. So, you know, I went with that, and I went with the fact that they were a battle-tested team that had to win critical games on the road to get to the finals, a team that, had to find a way to scratch and claw and win seven-game series to get to the finals as opposed to the Warriors who weren't all that tested for the most part coming out of the West. But uh, when we get to the finals, the Celtics team that got to the finals didn't really show up in the finals. Now, the one thing that they did do that was consistent from the previous rounds that was a concern for me was turn the ball over. And that's one thing that they did do. And it's well documented that Jason Tatum has set a new 
all-time most turnovers in the playoffs record. We all saw that. And for me, it wasn't so much that you're turning the ball over. It's one thing to have a cheap offensive foul called against you because that does count as a turnover. It's one thing to have, you know, you shuffle your feet when you're getting ready to pump fake and drive to the basket or something. Those turnovers don't hurt you that much. They take an opportunity to score away, but they don't hurt you all that much. The Celtics, it seemed like every last one of their turnovers felt like it was a live ball turnover. I picked the Celtics in this series mainly, not because of their offense. They, they're a hot and cold shooting team, as we've seen all season long. But I picked them because of their defense. And their half-court defense in this series really wasn't bad. It was kind of right where you would expect outside of a few times when Curry got loose, and that's going to happen to you. That's just who Stephen Curry is. But the turnovers stopped them from being able to consistently set their defense up. You already had somebody like Robert Williams out there with one leg, basically. So anytime the Warriors get a chance to run, this man is not going to be able to limp and get back on defense. So now you're at a disadvantage there. And you're scrambling and you're not getting matched up the way you want. And I thought the Celtics transition defense for the most part, outside of a couple times, they really did hustle to get back. But outside of that, they gave up way too many easy layups, dunks, open threes, all that stuff in transition. And it was off of those terrible passes, the, the driving baseline and jumping in the air with nowhere to go and then trying to throw the ball back towards your own goal and giving the Warriors a, a running start with the turnover. Uh, Jason Tatum dribbling towards double teams and then being weak with the ball and letting the Warriors literally take the ball from him. Um, guys trying to do crossovers and dribbling the ball off their foot and, and having fast break opportunities start off that. It wasn't even like the Warriors were making great defensive plays. The Warriors were catching the passes that were thrown to them. That was the disappointing part for me. And the other disappointing part, one that I did not anticipate, like I said, the turnovers were a concern going in. What I didn't see coming was the inability to punish Golden State on the glass. It was the Warriors, the team that shot the ball better and more consistently, that seemed like they were the ones always getting second-chance opportunities. I mean, I, I can't count the number of times I saw, like, Marcus Smart trying to box out Kevin Looney or something, and Looney is able to get uncontested offensive rebounds. But seeing a guy like Andrew Wiggins have 13, 14 rebounds in a game and you, you never saw that from the Celtics' tall, athletic wings who normally do a pretty strong job of getting on the glass. So I was shocked at that. I was shocked that the you know the finesse Warriors were able to go in there and be consistent on the glass more so than the Celtics. And so if you lose the turnover battle and, and in a major way, in a major way, through five games, the Warriors were averaging – 20.6 points per game off of turnovers. A rate that we had not seen since 1992. 1992. That's back when defense was actually allowed, for those of you you know not old enough to remember that year. So basically, in this era, since defense has essentially been banned from basketball, this is the most points off turnovers we've ever seen in the finals. When you do that, and then on top of that, you can't get a rebound. You don't box anybody out. I mean, there was one shot. Gary Payton, the second, shot a three-pointer. And that's the guy you want shooting. He misses. Everybody's watching. And Payton just, he he posed like he was going to make the shot. It's not like he immediately went after the rebound. He posed, missed, 
watched everybody else say they weren't going to get the ball and said, well, since nobody else wants it, I'll take it. And the Warriors score in that possession. I mean, when you don't protect the ball and don't get rebounds, it's almost a shock even won two games. So overall, I was more disappointed in the Celtics than I was impressed by the Warriors. And that's not to take away from what Golden State did. Again, their redemption story is amazing. The fact that Stephen Curry at 34 years old arguably had the best season of his career all around, that's something special. But with all that said, that's just a reflection of how disappointed I am in Boston that that kind of outweighs the nice feel-good story of the Warriors for me in this series. Um, yeah, so first and foremost, congratulations to the Warriors for winning another championship. Um, four for Curry thompson draymond green for the core that has been the dynasty of this warriors team for the last decade we'll say um but you know i thought julius was gonna go a little bit harder on the celtics uh maybe his anger has died down over the last few days we gave ourselves some time to breathe after after that game six loss but um i disappointed is a word that's that that you know that Julius used and you know that's that's a good word um for me I just I don't comprehend this series like don't get me wrong I'm not a person who thinks Steph Curry is good just because he won finals MVP now if you didn't think he was a top five top 10 player going into this year I can't help you with the game of basketball if you thought Draymond Green wasn't good in his role and because he only scored four points in one of the finals games or two points or whatever it was and everyone's getting on him because he's not scoring buckets I don't know what to tell you that's not his game has he made timely shots and has put up 14 16 point games in the finals before yes he has do the Warriors bank their wins on him scoring 10 points a game no they don't uh Clay Thompson you know Still not fully healthy. The fact that he's out there giving him anything, giving them anything anyway, was impressive. If it wasn't for Clay and Andrew Wiggins in Game 5, they're not winning that game. So, you know, Steph Curry has been the best player on that team for years. Um, the fact that a unhealthy Clay, I would say he's probably 70%. Again, two torn ACLs, out for two years. Um, I understand he played this year. I get it, right? But this whole entire regular season... And pretty much postseason has been a rehab stint for Klay Thompson. You could just tell that he wasn't the same defender he was in the past before the injuries. He wasn't the same explosive. And I say explosive, like, Klay Thompson could drive on you. Klay Thompson could stop somebody driving on him in the past. You know, you could just tell that he was probably a step or two behind. Uh, so it's kind of scary thinking about going into next year that if he gets a full off season without any setbacks and, um, you know, if he comes back even healthier next year, if we get any resemblance of, you know, uh, old Clay Thompson. So the fact that the role players always seem to play their roles in Golden State um, and they got this championship is just a kudos to that organization and um, getting the best out of Andrew Wiggins. Uh, Julius in the Maverick series said Andrew Wiggins is going to have to step up if they want to even close that series out. And what did he do? Step up, they won in five. Andrew Wiggins once again stepped up in the finals and I don't know where this lockdown defense came from, Andrew Wiggins, but he locked up Doncic as much as you can, and he literally locked up Jason Tatum. I don't, Jason Tatum, I don't know who that, that wasn't Jason Tatum in the final, I don't know who that was. 
if I'm a Celtics fan, if I'm the Celtics front office, I understand that he is your franchise guy. That's who you're building your franchise around, and he's still young. But you also have to look at context. Yes, Jason Tatum is young, but it's like he's a young Devin Booker, right? They've been in the league since they were like 18 years old. So even though they're under 25 years old, well, Devin Booker used to be. He's not anymore. But like, even though they're under 25 years old, but he has six years in the league, right? He has. So, yes, he's young. But also, every year it feels like they're saying, the Celtics are going to learn from this. They're going to grow from this loss. You, I feel like I've heard that for five straight years now. And when he was an 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old kid, that's great. But at the same time, you can't keep saying that every year. You can't keep saying they're going to learn from this loss. He's going to need to learn how to... I, again, I don't comprehend. Because if you're a first-team all-selection NBA player, if you're an outright all-star, if you are the cornerstone building block of a franchise, I don't want you shooting one shot in the fourth quarter. And that did happen in a game. I don't want you shooting four shots in the fourth quarter I would rather you go 0 for 12 and go aggressive and try to score. Again, I know Jason Tatum loves the step-back shot. That is probably his favorite shot. I'm pretty sure there's some statistic analytic guy out there who I've read somewhere that he shoots the most step-back contested shots in the league and he makes the most. That's fantastic for the regular season. I don't need to see that in the finals. Drive to the paint. It just seemed like if you're going to be wearing a Kobe armband, if you're going to be texting Kobe, and if you're going to be doing everything that you're saying that Kobe was your mentor, you can't shoot one shot in the fourth quarter. Kobe, when he had Malone, Peyton, and they did that a whole super team thing in L.A., you know what he did in that finals when they were playing? That man shot 23 shots a game. 30 shots a game. He was going out swinging, you know, and that I respect that. And I respect that because he was unapologetic about it. We all knew who Kobe Bryant was, right? As soon as he got the ball in his hands, even if he's triple team and it's the finals, he's shooting it. it. It's just, that's what you do as the leader. As And Tatum is too skilled and too tall and too athletic to... to be settling for shots like I have respect for Jalen Brown Jalen Brown came out and even though he might have flamed out after the couple first quarters or first half performances he tried he was being aggressive he was driving to the paint maybe he wasn't getting calls maybe he wasn't making his shots I don't care at least he was shooting at least he was trying I don't I have respect for Robert Williams out there on one leg getting five six blocks a game Grabbing rebounds, but guess what? He could only play 20 minutes because his leg was about to fall off. I, d- I don't know what happened to Tatum. I really don't. And again, I'm with Julius on this. I'm not I'm not trying to take anything away from the Warriors. I Hell of a playoff run. I called them going to the finals. The problem is I also called whoever won the Bucks celtics series going to the finals and winning just because of their defense. Those two teams, I thought, I, I even said, whoever won that series, I was like, they're going to the finals. Back in our round two podcast. And I was like, and they're going to win just because... And it had nothing to do with any other team in the West. I didn't care if the Warriors came out, the Suns came out, whoever was going to come out. I just thought that the defense out of those two teams would have won a finals. 
Because when you get to the finals, you get to the nitty-gritty moments, and you need a half-court stop. But there was too many times Tatum and or Brown were driving to the paint. It got stuck on the baseline, jumped in the air for some reason. And then would throw it back to the three-point line or to the free-throw line, right to Draymond, right to Steph, right to Otto Porter Jr. Like I just don't... No lineup. This should not be your starting five. Draymond, Otto Porter, Wiggins, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry out-rebounding you on the offensive glass. I just don't get it. I don't get I don't... Again, I don't comprehend this. I think that's what I'm so frustrated about. I, watching the games, the Warriors looked like the better team by far. And I know Julius isn't a big proponent of like experience, right? Like like playoff experience, championship pedigree, all those things. I feel like that is talked about too much. But it just seemed like the Warriors wanted to be there. And Steph obviously was trying to prove something. Um, and if anyone thinks that he didn't deserve one of the finals MVPs from... Like, Steph is a finals MVP caliber player. Steph, again... Top 10, probably all-time player, right? Top 15, top 20. You can start arguing if he's the best point guard. You know, I know the people who grew up watching him in this era are going to say he's the best point guard ever. For me, Magic Johnson's the best point guard ever, but I also grew up watching him as well, right? Like, I'm from that age bracket where I remember watching him play, not just highlights. Like, I remember watching him. Um, But I don't mind the argument with Steph Curry, as well as being the best point guard of all time, because of how he's changed the game, how he's revolutionized the NBA, right? Um, but for some reason, there were people out there that were like, he doesn't have a finals MVP, he's not a good player. It's, it's, it's asinine. It's just, you're, a, you're a Skip Bayless Stephen A trying to, trying to just get reactions out of people. But again, for anyone who thought the Warriors couldn't win going into it, that's insane to me. But I think, I, again, I'm more just perplexed and I don't comprehend what happened to the Boston Celtics. You can't have a first team NBA all selection player that disappears. You can't have the defense player of the year. And you know what? I said this in one of our other podcasts. I said, Marcus smarts flopping and antics is going to catch up with him eventually. And I told you, I hate watching him play because he's always on the ground and on the floor trying to get calls. (laughs) And there were too many times where one, he was either on the bench because he had three or four fouls, or two, he's flopping on the ground, and now the Warriors are out on a fast break getting easy buckets. So you can't have two of your big three, if you're going to call Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tam the big three of Boston, you can't have two of your big three not show up in the finals and, and expect to win, right? Again, Andrew Wiggins played out of his mind. It was the best performance I've ever seen Andrew Wiggins by far play. Um, definitely MVP runner-up. He had a hell of a series. And again, if it wasn't for him and his defense and rebounding, they are not winning this series. Uh, Steph had an insane series, and he was going off. But a lot of those games were close, even when he's dropping 40 points a game. If he didn't have someone else step up like Wiggins, and again, Game 5, Wiggins and Klay Thompson you know, carried them to that W when, when Steph had an off night, which you're going to have. As a shooter, you're going to have an off night eventually. You know? And he just dropped 43 the night before, 45, whatever it was. So, I mean, he already carried them to one victory, like, single-handedly. He kept them in that game and then put them, put them to sleep as he was doing all playoffs. <laughs> yeah, um, man, I'm you know he did. <laughs> but I just, I really am, again, I'm at a loss of, for words, essentially, because 
I really don't know what happened to the Celtics. Like, I I felt like I was out there trying to get rebounds against NBA players. I just don't I think I could have out I could have rebounded better than what the Celtics were doing. Like it, it just was so like Peyton Pritchard was leading the team one time in one of the games and he played ten minutes and he had the most rebounds. And it's just like that shouldn't happen. You know, like no. I don't want to look at the box score. I watched all the games. I'm saying if I was someone who opened up a box score and saw Peyton Pritchard leading the rebounds or Jalen Brown, which again, that's fine and all, but Al Horford is there. Robert Williams is there. People should be getting Grant Williams didn't show up at all this series. I don't know what he wants to ball out against Milwaukee and single handedly win a series. I'd rather see at least I know what I would have got if Giannis made it, right? Or even Jimmy Butler. Like, I'm so disappointed in Jason Tatum's performance. I think that's what, again, I'm not trying to take anything away from the Warriors. They had a hell of a series. I think I'm just more disappointed with the Celtics that I just don't understand how they even played so poorly. I, I understand that the all-NBA selections are for regular season. You can't be a first-team all-NBA player, though, and show up like that in a playoff series. It's, it's just... It's terrible. I just don't. I'm, yeah, I'm at a loss for words. So a lot of great points you made here. Uh, I was sitting here writing my notes because I had several points you made that I wanted to, to kind of respond to and reemphasize in some cases. Um, so, so one thing you said is, you know, there's that talk out there the last maybe three years or so. The Celtics are, are now Eastern Conference Finals veterans, even though they're a young team at their core. They, they've been there a lot. And like you said, there's a lot of talk of, well, they're going to learn from this. They're going to be better because of this experience. I hate that talk. When you tell me they're going to learn from this, what exactly are they going to learn? Not to turn the ball over? Why do you need to lose in the finals to learn how to pass to the guys who wear the same jersey as you? Do you really need that? I don't think so. What are they going to, they're going to learn how to rebound? Learn that when a shot goes up, maybe find a body to box out on. No, you're supposed to learn that when you're about 10 years old, not in the NBA Finals. So I hate the whole, oh, they'll learn from this. Because they never tell you what they're going to learn. They just tell you they're going to learn. Like all of a sudden, getting beaten, getting embarrassed is going to be good for you and going to teach you how to be a better basketball player or a better player in whatever sport you play. No. So there are some sayings in sports that I want to go away. That's one of them. They're not going to learn. Stop passing the ball to the wrong team. That's not something you learn playing in the finals. So please leave that whole thing alone. Game six left me especially disappointed. Because when you go back and you look at what Boston did in the previous two series against Milwaukee and against Miami, when every time their backs were against the ropes, the best version of them showed up. And that's one thing that I was counting on to happen in the finals. I knew they would face some adversity at some point. Golden State wasn't going to be a pushover by any means. But I felt like from what Boston showed going into the finals, this is a team that embraced adversity. This is a team that sometimes fell asleep when they had prosperity. But this is a team that when their backs were against the wall, they fought back. So to see them guard game six, you're at home, which – wasn't a big deal for the Celtics throughout the postseason, but you're still at home. You've got the fans behind you. You know it's a winner-go-home situation. And they played game six like a boxer who knew he had no chance for real against his opponent. They came out there and decided they're going to throw one punch. They're going to throw their best punch, and if that doesn't 
win a knockout for them, they're just not going to compete anymore. And the thing is, Boston landed that punch in game six. They jumped up 12-2. That was their best punch. But it was like when the Warriors took that punch and then smiled and kept coming forward, Boston gave up. And I'm like, now, this is not the Celtics team I've seen all year. The Warriors respond with a 21-0 run? Really? You don't do anything to stop that. And it's not like they went on a 21-0 run with extremely hot shoot. It's not like they went down and made seven quick threes in a row. You just did nothing on offense. It was, it was horrendous. And again, because you played so poorly fundamentally in offense, you gave them easy chances at the other end. And because you wouldn't box out, even if they missed, they were just going to keep getting rebounds until they scored. That part was really disappointing to me. You mentioned Marcus Smart and the flopping. The thing with Smart was not only did he have flops that didn't work in critical situations. I mean, there was one flop where Clay did kind of push off a little bit, but something that would not be called unless the refs were just out against you. Smart goes flying from the three-point arc to the baseline, and the whole time he's sliding, he's got his hands up looking at the referees, begging for a call. They don't give it to him. Clay has all day to shoot, and he knocks down the three. And then, you know, makes a face at the other end, you know, doing his mean mug thing, the, you know, the, the square mean mug that Clay does. Not only was Smart failing at getting those calls, but he was getting Marcus Smarted at the other end of the court. And they were getting the calls. There was a time where Smart made no contact at all with Jordan Poole. And Poole acted like he got hit in the face. And they called an offensive foul on Smart. And then Smart threw the ball up in the air, which would have and probably should have been his technical foul. And that's something else I need to talk about later. This whole, if a guy's got a technical foul, all of a sudden, we can't call another one on him. Draymond should have been ejected from one game. Marcus Smart should have been ejected from one game. I don't understand how the standards of technical fouls change because the guy already has one. They, they need to do something about that. But uh, yeah, seeing Marcus Smart get Marcus Smarted in that series, that was unfortunate to see. I don't even know what to make of that, but that's what happened. Um, Al Horford. Game one, Al Horford was the second best shooter in history behind Stephen Curry. Where did you go the rest of the series? The rest of the series. It was painful to watch, and Horford's kind of had this transformation throughout the last couple of years, but it's like after game one, or maybe because of game one, the rest of the series, Al Horford, who was critical in the Celtics getting to the finals, turned into Channing Fry. Like, he wanted to do nothing inside of the three-point arc. For most of the series, the stuff that the Warriors had no problem putting a smaller person on Al Horford because they knew all he's going to do is spot up and shoot three. He's not going to attempt to do anything else. And his teammates, it's like they didn't expect him to do anything else. There were times where I saw uh, Horford down low against Andrew Wiggins and never touched the ball. Then you had an opportunity where he had an opportunity to post up Stephen Curry, the smallest guy out there. And he backed Stephen Curry down. He got the ball, backed him down. Kept going after Draymond did a little fake dig in. Had a wide open shot at the basket and threw it out to the three-point line. 
it was like there was some rule that Al Horford wasn't allowed to attempt a two-pointer. I, I just don't understand what happened there. What happened to the Al Horford? Al Horford had been in the league a long time. He was back in the league when you still had some actual big men. You still had some Zach Randolph, Al Jefferson type of big men that would get in the paint and score buckets. You played in that era. What? what how did you become this? I can't even call it a stretch four or a stretch five. You're just out there doing nothing. You took two shots in one of the games. It's okay to shoot 10-foot shots, 8-foot shots, 5-foot shots when smaller guys are on you. Do it. Again, talk about what we're going we're gonna to learn from this. Al Horford's been in the league too long. He's been in the league 14, 15 years. What is he going to learn from this? Shoot the ball over somebody 6 inches shorter than you? You should already know that. So there's just so much that I just could say negative about the Celtics. And Jason Tatum, you touched on it. You know, going all the way back to the first round, that was one of the things I said about Kevin Durant. Like, I'm not disappointed that you lost. I'm disappointed that there were games that you lost where you only took like 12 shots. And like, like you said, I don't want to see Jason Tatum go 0 for 2 in the fourth quarter. Yes, the 0 is a problem. But the 2 is the bigger problem for me. Don't go 0 for 2. Go one for 10, one for eight. Do something to show me that there's some fight. Jason Taylor, I felt like he accepted defeat in game six with three minutes left in the first quarter. You know, Jalen Brown tried, other guys kind of sort of tried. To your point on Andrew Wiggins, I felt like Andrew Wiggins was the second best player in the finals. Certainly the second most consistent player behind Curry. But... I mean, again, just a complete lack of fight. Jason Tatum, we know he's an up and down kind of streaky score. Same thing with Brown. But Brown, like you said, at least went down like somebody who was interested in competing, even if he didn't have enough in him. Tatum, you're supposed to be that guy. First of all, the fact that he made first team is ridiculous over Joel Embiid. And I know well, we can't have two centers on the whole first team NBA. Then yes, you can. Stop that. Let's, let's stop with the antiquated rules. Let's put the best players on the first team. And there's no there's no reason a guy that was neck and neck for the MVP all season long goes to the second team while Jason Tatum, again, real nice player, up and coming, probably top 10 or so in the NBA right now. There's no reason he should have been first team over Embiid. No. So that's another thing that needs to get fixed. Um, the last thing I'll say is we all know it was no secret that Stephen Curry was hearing the voices, hearing the talk about you don't have finals MVP, that somehow hurts your legacy, this and that. And this whole legacy talk, I'm, I'm ready for it to go away. Because for the last two years, all the talk was Stephen Curry's legacy was tainted. Oh, look what happened when you lost Durant. You missed the playoffs one year. You lose in a playoff play-in last year, and that's when he really was getting it. When they lost to the play-in last year, oh, everybody, oh, Curry's legacy is done. All, all these, when I say everybody, I mean the legacy talkers. Um, Curry's legacy is done. Y'all should have never thought he was better than this guy and that guy. And a year later, Curry goes out, has a brilliant season, wins Finals MVP, and now the talk is, is he, is he as good as LeBron? Is is this the the LeBron and Curry era? <laughs> forget top 10, is he, is he top five? Is he the best point guard of all time? I'm, I'm like, how does, this, how does this shift this dramatically in, in one year? Are we really doing this? 
And, you know, with Kevin Durant, his legacy has been thrown in the tank all of a sudden uh, because the Warriors won a championship without him. And, he, you know, he lost in the first round. All of a sudden, that takes him, you know, last year, Kevin Durant was a no-doubt top 10 to 12 player all the time on everybody's list. Now, all of a sudden, it's he, he's got all this to prove and his legacy is tarnished and all this other stuff. Stop. Stop. With these legacies, you, you, can't, you can't go backwards. You can't go from being a top 10 player to outside the top 25 or whatever you're trying to do to Kevin Durant. Stop that. And you shouldn't have been doing that last year with Stephen Curry. Okay, wherever you had him three years ago, there was no reason over the, over the next two years for you to try to drop him 10 or 15 spots. What already happened, happened. Stop. <laughs> we can't retroactively change history every time somebody wins or every time somebody loses. So can we please end that? But the one thing I'll give the Warriors credit for is it wasn't just Curry who wanted that Finals MVP. It was the whole team. And you can see even when Curry won that, that Magic Johnson Western Conference Finals MVP nonsense, it was nonsense to me. It was nonsense to most people watching. But when you watch the Warriors celebrate Curry winning that award, you could see how much it meant to them that they wanted him to get that individual recognition. So going into the finals, everybody kind of had that mindset of not only are we trying to win, but we want to prove that Stephen Curry can be the unquestioned leader of a championship team, something that should have really been doubted before, but Again, because people like to nitpick and troll or do whatever, this was a question. So, you know, the Warriors hear the noise. Every last one of their star players has made it clear that they hear the noise because they, they have quoted tweets from teammates. I mean, not from teammates, but from opponents and from doubters and everybody else. I mean, Clay Thompson in a press conference quoted a tweet from Jaron Jackson Jr. I mean, these guys are letting you know. I mean, Kevin Durant gets all kinds of criticism for listening to the – the social media and having burner accounts. Let me tell you, all these guys do it. But the, the Warriors didn't hide the fact that they see what you're saying about them on Twitter. They let that inspire them. They wanted that uh, trophy for Curry, not just the championship trophy, but their finals MVP. And to see the whole team celebrate the way they did when Curry finally got that finals MVP and the fact that it was a, a no suspense. This wasn't a, you know, he got – 52% of the votes to get finals MVP. You knew it was coming. Everybody knew it was coming. I, I personally thought that he should have got it, even if the Celtics somehow miraculously won the series because he was that much better than everybody in this series. Uh, but it was good to see that unity from Golden State, that willingness to say, you know what, even though we're not supposed to care about anything more than winning, we do care about the storyline in this, in this situation as well, and we're going to fight for it. And we're going to let you know about it when we do accomplish everything we want, not just on the championship level, but on the whole legacy talk level. So kudos to the Warriors for that as well. Yeah, so I went on my rant pretty much already. I don't really have much more to say about the finals. Um, again, super disappointed in the Celtics. I just thought they were a better team than that. Um, I don't know if they'll be back. And that's the thing, you know, they've been hovering around the finals in the East for a few years now. Those are their first finals. Um, and that's why I hate that same thing. Like Julius, I hate the, uh, they're going to learn from this experience. No, no, no. Capitalize on the time. You're going to be there because you never know when you're going to get back. Just like the heat, the heat thought they might make it back this year, right? They made it in the bubble, which everyone keeps calling the bubble a fake championship, which is just dumb. Everyone had to play in the bubble. So all the people who had to play in the ball, I guarantee you, I don't care who you are. If the Lakers didn't, and I think they're only saying because the Lakers won and LeBron won, and LeBron's right. the most scrutinized athlete probably of all time. But mm -hmm. if anyone would have won that championship, I guarantee you every single player on that championship team, no one would be like, oh, this is a fake. No, 
all the teams that went there agreed to the terms and had to play in the bubble. And if the Heat would have won, guarantee you Jimmy Butler would be sporting that ring everywhere he went. So, uh, again, the Heat have been hovering around, but you get a year older. Al Horford gets a year older. You know, does Robert Williams' knee ever get healthy? Like, you just don't know if you'll be back. And then plus, everyone in the East is going to reload as well, right? All the teams that were, like, right there in the mix, Chris Middleton should come back healthy. Do the Bucks reload with somebody? You know, do they make a splash move? You just don't know what's going to happen. Do the Nets get blown up? And then does Kyrie go somewhere? Does Durant go somewhere else that makes a bigger, better team? You don't know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen year to year. I guarantee you the Warriors didn't think Clay was going to blow his ACL twice. You know, I'm, I'm glad they won another title. That's awesome. You know, it just shows how dominant they've been. In this playoff run, they never faced elimination. Did not have an elimination game. They were super dominant. Anyone who was watching basketball, I called them making it to the finals. I wish I would have said they would have won, but I, again, I went off of me saying whoever won the Bucks Celtics series would win because of defense. Celtics defense didn't show up, and it is what it is. Um, but you know, it was a good finals. It was a good. Pl- it was actually one of the most enjoyable playoff NBA playoff runs in a while. Um, there was no clear cut favorite team. You know, I, again, I know the Suns were the quote unquote best team this year. They lost to the Mavericks. So like, I don't, um, yeah, that, again, there was no clear cut team that I thought is head and shoulders above everybody else. Again, I called the Warriors making it to the finals. I had the Bucks making it. Um, that was before the Milton injury. And even with the Milton injury, I just thought Giannis was that good of a player, which he is to even take the Celtics seven games essentially by yourself. Um, but you know, I'm interested for next year already. Cause I know people are saying the Warriors are the next favorite. Uh, we got to see what plays out. I think they have five or six guys becoming unrestricted free agents or some type of free agent. Um, it'll be interesting to see who wants a big contract, who, you know, finals runs and, and playoff performances get some guys big contracts sometimes that don't deserve it. Um, so we'll see if uh, Gary Payton II, you know, gets a little bit more money that, you know, the Warriors can't afford. But I also expect the Warriors to reload with people who are on take the veteran minimum to try and win a championship. Maybe like a P.J. Tucker. Maybe like another, like kind of like Andre Iguodala this year. Kind of like, you know, those guys, they kind of just stay on the team because... They want that championship. So, kind of like Sean Livingston. He took a discount, and before he had that horrific leg injury, he was one one of the top up-and-coming young guys in the NBA. A lot of people don't remember that. Sean Livingston was was a beast for the Clippers until he blew his knee out with that nasty, nasty leg injury. Um, but, yeah, so, again, Wiseman was going to come back. How does that play into, like, is their rebounding going to get even better, right? Like, they don't, they're not good rebounders, but is he going to add – a presence like with Drake, like if his job is just to go get rebounds, Wiseman can do that. At least from college, he could, he can do that. Like from what I've seen. Um, so again, you got to take advantage of your opportunities. You know, the Celtics have been kind of hovering around there and I don't expect them to just keep doing that for the next six years, just because you never know what's going to happen year to year. Brown could have a serious injury. Tatum could get seriously injured. Someone could go out, you know, winning a championship is, like 50% skill, 50% luck, because you never know what type of injuries you're going to have. Look what happened to the Sixers. Embiid having his healthiest, best season of all time, and then get into the playoffs, and he has 
the orbital fracture. He has the thumb. Like you just don't know what's going to happen. Look at the Bucks. They thought they were going to have a nice little run. Middleton goes down. So, you know, it's it's a little bit of luck, and it's a little and it's it's luck and skill combined because you just don't know what's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, I hate the they're going to get experience from this, and no, like maybe being on the final stage and like doing the press tour, you get experience with that, right? Maybe you get experience with like how like the the three day break between games, even though you're in the same city still, like maybe you get experience handling that better. But like, like you said, you're not going to learn how to play basketball better because of this. Like you're already in the NBA. You should know the fundamentals. There's no, Oh, I shouldn't jump in the air and have no one to pass it to. Like, I'm going to learn not to do that now. No, like, Come on, like you should already know that. So, um, I'm done with the finals. You know, congrats to the Warriors again. Um, and to touch on a point that you made about the legacy talk, I think, I think that's why we're doing this podcast, and I think that's one of the reasons we wanted to start this. Um, not because of the legacy talk, but because of how the media and the narratives are surrounding sports nowadays. Uh, you know, I remember, and you probably do too, us growing up. And we've talked about this before. Sports Center and ESPN, I could leave on all day. And I would get different highlights. I would get different speaking points. And I remember this. They created ESPN News to give you the news in the sports world. And now regular ESPN has turned into ESPN News. Like, they have all these random takes. Like, like. Again, get up and first take. All that used to be cold pizza. Like I remember those days. I remember when that was the only show like that. Let's have some people on here, some analysts, and talk about stuff. Like then they made all these other shows trying to do all these things. And I mean, the social media world and and Twitter fingers and all those people, they love it, right? They everyone eats it up and they just use that as facts and they'll spit me a Stephen A line or a Skip Bayless line or a Shannon Sharp line. And I'm like Y'all understand they're saying this for hot takes. They're saying this for clicks. They're saying this for... Because most of the time, when you read a headline, Skip Bayless says, Stephen A can suck his... like, And you're like, oh, click on it. And then it's like, he's reading Stephen A's quote about him. And then he's like, oh, no, that didn't happen. ESPN said... Like, it doesn't even say whatever the headline said, right? Like, everyone just makes these things up. But I think that's why we're doing this podcast. So we can discuss, you know, the sports of it. Give a breakdown of what we saw, you know, how we feel. And like Julie said, we're normally, we're high percentage of of being correct or things kind of going the way we see them. And so the fact that we both had the Celtics win the finals and they, they lost convincingly. It wasn't even, again, they won game one and then they lost the next four out of five. Like it was, it was not even... Yeah, it was just it was just it was it was humbling because I did not see the team going out like that. And especially Tatum, who's supposed to be a superstar, who's supposed to be again the cornerstone. He's calling himself like Kobe was my mentor, blah blah blah. But you know what? Devin Booker said the same thing, and he's supposed to be the next Kobe, and look what happened to him against the Mavericks game seven on their home. So maybe we should stop saying people are the next Kobe. Right? You know, that maybe that's the next thing to go to. Let's stop talking about legacies. Let's stop talking about who's the next who. Uh, and let's just watch. Let's just watch the games. Let's just appreciate it while we have it. It's 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 kind of ridiculous, honestly, because everything now is championship chasing. Like, you know, one of my least favorite narratives in sports is like is the LeBron MJ goat conversation. That's one of my least favorite conversations in all of sports because 
Um, for anyone to say LeBron hasn't accomplished more than what was expected of him, I don't think I've ever... Again, I grew up in high school. He was in high school. So that was... I, I remember him being my age and then being like, he's the next Michael Jordan. He's the next greatest basketball player of all time. At like 15 years old, to come into the league and win four championships, multiple MVPs, be scrutinized from the very first moment you stepped on the floor as a rookie and to exceed all expectations, you don't need to be the GOAT. You don't need to be the greatest of all time. You've already done more than you can do in your career. There's nothing else LeBron could do anymore that's going to... I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm impressed that he's still playing at a high level at year 19, year 8, whatever it is. Like, that's impressive. It is... It is. He is a freak athlete. We knew that when he was getting coming into the league. But, like, if he ever wins another championship, cool. If he doesn't win another championship, that's not going to make me think he's a better or not better player. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, people are too concerned about what LeBron does every waking moment of his life. Same thing with Steph Curry. Him winning this championship and winning Finals MVP did not really change my mind about Steph Curry. I, I just... For anyone who... who if this changed your mind about how he is as a player... It just doesn't make sense to me. Do you see? You know what I'm saying? Like that's what I'm saying. This legacy talk is ridiculous. Like, yeah. if yeah. I mean, I I just don't I just don't get it. Right? Like I don't. It's kind of like for me, like Dan Marino. Right? I think he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He threw for five thousand yards in a season back in the '80s when throwing wasn't even really a thing. Right? Like people weren't throwing three and four hundred yard guys. I don't care that he never won a Super Bowl. Your team has to win that championship, especially in football. Dan Marino ain't out playing defense. So it's just like, I don't understand why this whole era of you have to win a Super Bowl, you have to win an NBA Finals, you have to win is so heavily scripted because Michael Jordan went 6-0 and in his finals career. And they, you always see that when they talk about the GOAT. 6-0, and 1-0 and in the NCAA. You know, they're always showing his, like, titles, and I'm just like, so what you're telling me is he didn't make the final some years. He didn't go to every NCAA championship game when he played college basketball because he didn't only play one year of college. So, again, is it impressive he's never lost on the highest stage? Yes. But has he lost in his career? Yes. Everyone does. Everyone loses. No one is a perfect... Okay, besides Floyd Mayweather, nobody is perfect, and he's also lost amateur boxing matches. So, like, he's still lost at one point in his career, right? So, I'm just saying, no one's perfect. And for the fact that people always bring that up, and then it's just so funny, though, right? Because, again, on the GOAT conversations, you'll see this. Like, Jordan 6-0 is a career, or he has six championships. And then if someone's like, well, so-and-so has eight championships or seven championships or whatever. They're like, well, that doesn't count because they've never won this many scoring titles or they never won this many All-Stars. I don't care if you made an All-Star team. You know who votes on the All-Star teams? Writers. Just like I don't care if Steph Curry is the first unanimous uh, MVP. He shouldn't have been. Do you know how many unanimous MVPs there should have been leading up to him? Don't throw that in my face. I could care less if old sports writers. It's the same thing with the Baseball Hall of Fame. Barry Bonds, one of the greatest hitters of all time. Not in the Hall of Fame. Why? Because old dudes that are sports writers that don't even play the game are trying to tell people who should be a Hall of Famer or who should win the MVP based off their own biases. 
I don't care. That's why the legacy talk has no championships and all that. It's what you do when you're playing the game, right? If Steph Curry never won a championship, he would still be one of the greatest point guards of all time. Look at, he's the greatest shooter of all time by far with ease, right? So like for you to be the greatest shooter of all time, to revolutionize how the game is played. And then if someone's like, oh, well, you know, he's not that good. Like you just don't know what you're talking about in sports. So let's get the legacy talks out of here. And let's let's just get back to watching sports, enjoying the sports, you know, enjoying what these guys are doing, that things that we've never seen before, right? Like I still have Peyton Manning as a better quarterback than Tom Brady, but I can't I can't take away that Tom Brady has won so many championships. But again, he's not the only person winning these championships. He was on teams that had to win the championships. And that's the thing with Peyton. Peyton was was the whole Indianapolis Colts team at one point. The defense was always really crappy. People were comparing Peyton to Dan Marino. Oh, he gets the stats. He's a great quarterback. Will he ever win a championship? Then when he finally won that first championship, oh, he's the greatest of all time, blah, blah, blah. I don't know why championships change this narrative, right? And no one was ever saying Tom... Before Tom Brady started winning six championships, five championships, four... No one was sitting up here saying he's a better quarterback than Peyton Manning or he's a better quarterback than Joe Montana or like... Even Steve Young, you know what I'm saying? Like, no one was saying that. And then when he got to four and five and six, you know, now it's, he's the greatest quarterback of all time. Is he the winningest quarterback? Has he won the most championships? Yes. And that's, and it's impressive. No one else has ever done it. You know, it is impressive. But you also have to be on a team that can compete and do those things. So, you know, I think Dan Marino is a better quarterback than Tom Brady. I think Peyton Manning's a better quarterback than Tom Brady. Has Tom Brady perfected, you know, playing in the big moments and not making a mistake to cost his team a championship? He has. Has his defense and his running game and things like that also won him championships? It has. Like, if you remember that first run that he had, those three championships, he wasn't out here throwing for 500 yards and getting 40 touchdowns. So, you know... Again, context is everything. You need to watch the games. I'm I'm over the legacy talks, and I'm because if you watch the games, you can you can't sit there and tell me if you had Peyton Manning and Tom Brady going, who are you drafting first? If you're building a franchise, I guarantee you, no one's taking Tom Brady. You're going to take Peyton Manning if those two guys are head up head to head. You're going to take Tom. You're going to take Peyton Manning over Tom Brady. Like you can't. And if someone says they're taking Tom Brady because he has seven championships, no, you're building this team from scratch. This is going to be your first pick in the draft, right? Um, it's just, he went to Tampa when the team, James Winston threw for 5,000 yards. Like, I, you're not trying to tell me he went to Tampa, they were a shitty team, and he just made them a champion because he was there. It, I don't know, man. These these legacies and these narratives are all over the place all the time. No, I'm 100% with you on, again, once again, everything you said, uh, certainly with when it comes to the legacy talks. Um, I am the type of person I really don't get wrapped up in the legacy talks. Uh, if you have Michael Jordan as the greatest player of all time, that's fine. If you have LeBron James, the greatest player of all time, that's fine. If you're, you know, kind of an old head and you've got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the greatest player, I'm fine with that. Um, my thing has always been the inconsistencies. My thing has always been, first of all, you know, people will say all time and then only mean since 1980 or since 1990 or since 2000. 
that's the number one reason I don't get into these debates. When you say all time and then start disqualifying part of all time, there's a problem. Like, you can't sit here and say, well, Bill Russell can't be on a list because he played too long ago or he wasn't playing against enough teams. The man got 11 championships and was the greatest defenders of all time. If you're not going to have him on your list, acknowledge the fact that your list is not an all-time list. Yeah, I, don't, I don't care who you got ranked one, two, three, four, five, whatever. I don't care who's in your top 10, who's not in your top 10. But if your top 10 all-time players are all players who are, you know, 50 years old and younger right now, then your list is not an all-time list. Stop that. Just say in my lifetime or say even better because it's normally not even in your lifetime. Just say when I started becoming a fan. Now, these, this is my all-time list of when I started becoming a fan because you're not going back all time. You're just, you're just not doing it. If you're going to exclude somebody like Wilt Chamberlain. Okay, you, you want to talk about stats? Everybody wants to always talk about stats. Man averaged 50 points a game in a season. Not just averaged 50 points in a game, but in that season, he averaged over 48 minutes a game and played every game. How do you average over 48 minutes? Oh, overtimes, people. Overtimes. So you have zero load management whatsoever in a 50-point-per-game season, and it's not like he averaged 50 a game and then averaged 20 the rest of his career. Like, this guy, year in and year out, was averaging in the high 30s, way up there in points per game. So, again, if you're not going to include Will, if you're not going to include Bill Russell, your list is not an all-time list, so let's not even have a debate about all-time. And then another thing for me is just have consistent standards. You're going to tell me LeBron James is the greatest player of all time because of points, rebounds, and assists, and keep the same energy with everybody. But you can't say, well, LeBron James is great because just this past year he averaged 29.7 rebounds and 7 assists in a non-playoff season and then tell me that Russell Westbrook's overrated for averaging 30, 10, and 10 on a team that actually did go to the playoffs. If you're going to tell me that's overrated, if you're going to tell me that's stat padding, okay, well, if a six foot three guard who has an average build for an NBA player, if he can stat pad, then certainly a six foot eight man built like a machine can stat pad. So if we're going to talk about accusing people of stat padding and we're just going to make everything about that whole narrative, then again, keep the same standard. That's all I've ever asked with anything. Same thing with the championships. Like you said, if, if you're going to say 6-0 and or 6 championships makes Jordan the best, then we need to talk about, even beyond Bill Russell, someone like John Havlicek being in, in the discussion. You know, I understand the argument against Robert Ory. He had seven championships, but he was never that guy. He was never, you know, a first-team All-NBA type of player. Well, Havlicek was. And he's got more championships than Jordan. Why doesn't his name come up? I mean, I mean, his name doesn't come up at all. I mean, we start talking about the greatest 20 players of all time. Nobody wants to talk about Havlicek. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I, th I thought rings were the thing. Hey, racist. That's why. <laughs> so, so, so <laughs> regardless of what they may look like, if you love Luca as much as you do, you should love John Havlicek because as far as I can tell, he's better than Luca. <laughs> and share some genetics. So come on, y'all. 
<laughs> so so that, that that's my thing with the list is to see the inconsistency from one thing to the next. Like you said, even with the people who say Brady's the greatest just because he's won the most Super Bowls. Okay, so do you have Terry Bradshaw above Peyton Manning and Drew Brees and all these other popular quarterbacks? No. I I, I didn't think so. So apparently Super Bowls don't matter that much to you. If, if you don't have Terry Bradshaw as one of your top three or so quarterbacks of all time. So, again, have consistency. And, again, if you say, oh, Terry Bradshaw's too old and all this stuff, okay, again, you're not talking about all time. Let's have a conversation since 2000, since that's all you know about sports. And, again, if that's all you know, that's fine. Then just say it. Stop saying go. Just say greatest since and then insert whatever year you want to go from. But you can't say all time and then start disqualifying part of time. All is a word that you might want to look up in the dictionary if you don't understand why I'm saying what I'm saying. But if you want to make it about just winning, okay, Brady can be number one. But then, again, keep the same energy with everybody else. Eli Manning is just as good as his brother. If all that matters is winning championships. If all that matters is winning Super Bowl MVPs. So, you know, let's, let's not make it – overly simplistic and it's, it's not a difficult concept to try to understand that these whole legacy talks and everything else should be multifaceted should, should consider several different factors shouldn't be just about one thing but if you're going to make it about one thing then your list should be the easiest list if you want to say because i've seen some people say drew Brees is their goat because of all the yards he had okay then your all-time list should just be in order of who had the most passing yards <laughs> like, yeah, you know, there should have no debate. So, <laughs> you know, let's keep some type of consistent standard. That's all I've ever asked for. I don't care what your list is like. I don't care what you value more than somebody else might. Just try to have a little bit of consistency if that's something you get hung up on. Like I said, for me, we'll do some rankings on this show just for fun, but we're not going to sit here and make it a concrete thing. Uh, we're not going to sit here and act like it's factual. And we're certainly not going to get upset if somebody comes through and says, this other guy's better. But what you're not going to hear from us is self-contradiction. That's the one thing I promise you won't hear from us. So whether you agree or disagree with our rankings, when you hear our reasoning, it is going to be consistent. It is going to be valid. And it's going to be subject to change, but not drastically. You don't take a guy and say he's fifth one year, and then the next year say he's 30. It just doesn't make any sense. One of your rankings was wrong somewhere. I don't care what type of standard you were going by if you've got that much fluctuation year to year. So, you know, like I said, we'll get into that. We'll discuss it because we know that's a popular conversation. But again, for me, I'm very relaxed when it comes to all this goat talk and who's all time best and whose top 10 list is better and whose top 10 list is worse. Everybody's got their own list. You're not going to change anybody's mind. Let me, let me just save you some time right now. And the LeBron versus Jordan fighting is not worth your time. I don't care who you are. I don't care what side you're on. It's not worth your time. So, you know, let's focus on more meaningful conversations with sports. And, you know, all I, again, all I ask is to be consistent. Just have one consistent thought process. If you do that, it'll make everything else so much smoother and easier. And that's what we'll do on this show. Yeah, so, you know, like I said, we're trying to get away from clickbait and the hot takes and getting people all riled up in their feelings. I feel like ESPN did that, and it worked out great for them. They got ratings, and they made billions of dollars, but we're here to just 
talk sports and, and try and give a different perspective on it. So with that said, I think we're going to wrap up the NBA season in a nutshell and just kind of give our what the best thing we saw this year and what we're looking forward to next year. So uh, I guess I'll go first, and the best thing I saw was probably Memphis making the playoffs and, and John Morant kind of, uh, you know, you saw it at Murray State, but they got knocked out real early on his tournament run. And then you kind of saw the athleticism and all that his rookie year and second year. So this year, him, you know, kind of ascending and and putting Memphis back on the map, uh, back to the grindhouse d- days with the, the Gasol and Randolph and Conley and and all of them. You know, it, it was it's it's, it's exciting. Uh, all the young stars that kind of showed out this year for me is kind of like the best thing um, because I know this is going to be hard for a lot of you to hear. LeBron James is going to retire one day. And so we won't be able to talk about him. Well, no, people will still talk about him. But <laughs> he's going to retire one day. Kevin Durant is going to retire one day. Steph Curry is going to retire one day. Uh, and the league looks like it's in good hands, right? Um, there's a lot of young stars. Um, will Zion come back healthy? I don't know. If he does, his rookie season was a hell of a rookie season. So... Um, just hope he can get back healthy and in shape and, and back to what he was doing before the injuries. But, again, the young the young stars look like the NBA is going to be fun to watch, you know, years years to come. So that was the best thing I saw this year. And the worst thing I saw this year, and maybe it's just because it's fresh in my mind, is Jason Tatum's performance <laughs> in the NBA Finals. I just don't understand. I hated it. Just didn't show up. I... Worst thing I've seen all year. I don't, I don't, again, the NBA was an up and down year. Um, you know, I, I didn't initially like the play in whenever they had it. I kind of like it now, but at the same time, it's like they're a 10th seed for a reason. Like most of them didn't really go that far, right? Like I don't, I don't need to see, and I know, I understand the Pelicans made it into the, made it into the playoffs, right? But like, do we need it? Do we not need it? I don't know. It's just another game. It's fine. But, you know, I don't need to see a team 10 games under 500 playing in the playoffs, personally. Like, if you can't get it done in 82 seasons because they're already talking about shortening the season or doing this or doing that, like, I don't need to see you in a playing game, honestly. Like, I don't I don't care. But, uh, again, worst thing I saw, Tatum's performance in the finals. Again, maybe it's just because it's fresh in my mind, but I was really expecting better out of them. And that – was my NBA season, and Julius, on to you. For me, I'm going to uh, – we, we talk about being unbiased on this show, but there are going to be times where I'm going to be intentionally biased. But when that happens, I will be open and honest about it. So with that leading the way, the favorite thing for me this year as a San Antonio Spurs fan was the true arrival of DeJounte Murray. To see DeJounte Murray have a legitimate all-star campaign. To see Murray have a consistent jump shot that changed his game and made him a more consistent night-in, night-out scorer. To see him learn how to use his long limbs. He's he's still a kind of a lanky guy, but he uses his long limbs defensively beautifully to get in the passing lanes, to disrupt ball handling, to block shots defensively. Uh, he's, he's constantly on the glass. Now, part of that is how the game is played now, where you kind of get out of the way for your guards to get rebounds. But Murray does legitimately go get some contested rebounds as well. He has learned how to operate an offense. He's had to 
learn how to function in an offense that's probably way too guard heavy. Somebody please get us an athletic big man. Thank you very much. I've been saying that for, I don't know, 15 years. But DeJounte Murray's arrival, his emergence, because, you know, he was already a pretty good player coming into this season. But for him to consistently be that guy, for him to consistently come in night in, night out, and be good enough to get the Spurs team where that roster is is not good, it's not well-constructed as far as I'm concerned. There's some promise on that team with guys like Keldon Johnson uh, and maybe Devin Vassell, we'll see. But uh, to, to get that team into the play-in, and, you know, again, we had, had our comments about the play-in and how valuable it is and whether or not it's a little corny, but it's there. It's probably here to stay. So for a Spurs team that I certainly had no expectations for, a Spurs team that I thought could be one of the two or three worst teams in the Western Conference, for DeJounte Murray to get that team into the play-in and for him to, again, arrive as a consistent night-in, night-out threat to be a, one of the most productive players in the league, that was my favorite thing. The other thing for me, and Patrick touched on this, he talked about the young stars developing in this league, my other favorite thing this year was the top of this year's rookie class. Every year, you're just waiting for somebody in the top five to be a bust. It doesn't matter if it's one of the best draft classes. You know, 2003 is considered one of the best draft classes ever. And yet, you still have Darko Milicic right in, right in there, tucked nice and neatly between LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony. It's always that one guy you're just waiting for at the top of the draft to say, there's going to be a bust somewhere in here. When you look at the top of the draft this year, you had Cade Cunningham at the top going to the Pistons. He started the year off hurt, but you can see him getting better and better and better throughout the year. This is somebody who I thought could kind of be a Joe Johnson type of player coming out of college, and you can just see him get more comfortable and more consistent. I still want a little more aggression out of Cunningham, but he looks like the kind of guy who you want as one of your primary ball handlers, a guy who can score at a pretty effective, efficient clip. A guy who can score inside, outside, brings good height, good size to the position of ball handler. I'm not even going to call it point guard. just kind of a ball handler position. He can get you seven, eight rebounds a game, seven, eight assists a game. He's a guy that's going to be on the rise. Uh, Jalen Green was picked. And I wasn't sure. I wasn't completely sold on Jalen Green coming into the season because I thought he was just a bit too one-dimensional bit too reliant on being an outside shooter and just relying on pure athleticism. And he struggled for most of the year. He really did. He had efficiency issues that were pretty extreme at parts of the season. But the last month, month and a half of the season, he really, with no fanfare, I mean, that was amazing how much coverage these guys weren't getting, but with no fanfare, Jalen Green was one of the more reliable scorers from the perimeter the last few weeks of the season and I want to see how much that carries over into next season so I'm excited about him uh, you had Evan Mobley with the Cavaliers and he helped turn that team around uh, one of the better two-way big men I saw all year rookie or not uh, he looks completely polished at both ends of the floor He's somebody who, when he catches the ball, he has a plan on what to do with it. He's somebody, hey, Al Horford, pay attention. Evan Mobley, as a rookie, is coming into the league and knowing how to take advantage of mismatches and create opportunistic shots at the basket for himself. He knows how to pass out of double teams. He shoots the ball with excellent touch. 
And then defensively, he's already one of the best shot blockers in the game. And shot blocking is something that's dear to my heart. So I love seeing a big man play like a big man and protect the rim. So Evan Mobley is somebody who I think is going to be one of my favorite players in the next two or three years. Uh, then you have the rookie of the year, Scotty Barnes. I thought they got this one right. You know, sometimes they vote, you know, Patrick talked about the voters and oftentimes they do get it wrong. Oftentimes they do go for a narrative or some type of biased thing over what actually happened. But uh, consistently from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, I thought Scotty Barnes was just that much more consistent than Evan Mobley, who had some injury issues in the second half of the season. Scotty Barnes is a guy to look out for. He does a little of everything. The only thing he doesn't do great is shoot from the perimeter. If he gets that down, He's an excellent defensive player, a very versatile player. He can guard every position. And later in the season, when the uh, Raptors were dealing with a ton of guard injuries, he took over ball handling duties and showed that he can play a little point forward. So uh, shout out to Scotty Barnes. And finally, Josh Giddy is the last guy I'll shout out from this rookie class. And again, very deep, very good rookie class so far. Uh, Josh Giddy is a guy who, again, had a bit of a rough start to the season, but as he got more comfortable, showed an all-around offensive game. Uh, not the most dynamic score. I don't expect him to be, but a good enough score, a crafty guy who can get a shot here and there when he needs to. Again, another one who's going to get on the glass and brings good size to the position. A very nifty passer. It looks like he's been in the league for years with the way he passes the ball. He does have to shoot from the perimeter better, but he showed some promise. So I like what I see there. And that leads into the worst thing I saw this year, the Oklahoma City Thunder. An absolute disgrace. I'm going to tell you right now, every time somebody started getting good, they got shut down. For the second year in a row, they shut down Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who's one of my favorite players in the league. And I hate to see that You know, every time he starts cooking, the smallest injury, if he jams his finger, please believe he's going to be out for two months. They shut down Lugent's Dort. You know, Lugis Dort, who was, you know, during that Chris Paul rub at Oklahoma City, Dort became kind of a, a cult hero with the Thunder. He gets shut down. I mean, it, it, and Dort was having a career year. I mean, he's, he's young, so a career year is, is relative. But, I mean, why? Dort's not an all-star caliber player. You don't have to shut him down to tank. Hey, they and need, then they shut Josh Giddy down. They got to stack those draft picks. Come on, it's Oklahoma City. They got to stack draft picks. And then the guys they draft, they shut them down too. So what game are we playing? What's the end point? What's the end point? You've been stacking picks all these years. Now, this is the same franchise, speaking of Patrick's point earlier. Okay, 10 years ago, okay, the Thunder were in the finals against the Heat. And when they lost, there was those same narratives. Oh, they'll be back. They've got a young core. They'll be back. They'll learn from this. What did they learn? How many championships Harden and Westbrook been to since? Okay, the only one that's been to championships is Durant. He had to leave to do it and gets no credit for getting the championships that he got because he joined a championship team. So, you know, what again, what's the end game? I'm getting back to the original point. What's the end game for Oklahoma City? Ten years ago, you thought you had a court that was going to win championship. You did nothing with it. Now you just stack picks, stack picks, stack picks just to shut down the good players you get. Go look, and we don't normally encourage looking at box scores here, but go look at some of the box scores for the Thunder had at the end of the season. Don't look at the numbers. Look at the names. 
you recognize anybody, there are players who should not qualify for the D League or the G League, let alone the NBA, who were starting for the Oklahoma City Thunder. They were literally picking guys up off the street and putting them in the starting lineup. The NBA has to do something about this. If you're that bad, you should get the last pick in the first round, not the first. Try. The first pick should go to a team that's actually trying, that's actually putting an NBA product on the field, on, on the court, excuse me. Get out of here, Oklahoma City. You have talented players. They may be rough around the edges, but they're talented players. Let them play. You shouldn't be so afraid of, you're not even afraid of winning, you're afraid of competing. You want to go out there and lose by 70. And you accomplish that. Why? At, at some point, the NBA's got to step in and say, you know what, if you're not going to put an NBA product on the field, on the, on the court, I, I'm stuck on football for some reason. If you can't put a quality NBA product on the, on the court, and I don't mean you have to win 60 games. Just look like a team that belongs out there. Look like a team that people at home can't watch and legitimately think they might be able to beat. It's one thing to have one guy on your team who people think they can beat at home. You probably can't, but, you know, you think you can. But to have a whole team of those guys, to have a whole team of undrafted guys, and not just undrafted, unheralded guys, guys who would have told you themselves at the beginning of the season they wouldn't have a chance in the NBA this year. For them to start two days after being picked up by this team, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that, that has to be stopped. So the worst thing I saw this year was the Oklahoma City Thunder wasting everyone's time, including their own players, with all these shutdowns and all these pickups of random players who have no NBA future. Do something about it, Adam Silver, please. You know, the reason that wasn't my worst thing is because I actually got a 10-day contract and started a few games. So, you know, <laughs> I, I got to live my dream out. So Remember that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's going to be the wrap on the NBA uh, for this season. Uh, obviously, if any breaking news or anything big happens, we'll get back on and discuss. But uh, for now, that's our wrap-up for the NBA season. We appreciate you all riding with us through the playoffs. Um, now onto our segment that we started a couple podcasts ago, what's going on. Um, so for me, it was a sad, sad couple weeks. Um, the Maryland Terrapins lost their regional to the Connecticut Huskies. Uh, you know, they played their hearts out though. They, they pushed it to the final game that they could push it to. Um, there was a really, really, I'm not going to say bad call, but as a Terp fan and being in the stadium watching it, it was a terrible call. Um, you know, looking back at the replay and reading the rules of the MLB and the law of the land, it probably was the right call. But just watching someone run down the baseline and then a first baseman getting in the way because of a bad throw and then him running into him because you want him to stop on a dime running full speed, to me, is just it's a terrible call. The base runner should, it should kind of be like in basketball, football, all these things. Like everyone has the same right to that space, right? Mm -hmm. you, he was in, on the baseline. Like he, again, it, wouldn't have, it wasn't going to tie the game, but it would have been a one run game after that with him on first and the guy scoring from third. Instead, because it's an interference call, 
all interference calls in baseball, the runner goes back. There's no advancement. So I know a lot of people were upset. Oh, he scored before the, the play call. Let me just break it down for you. An interference call in baseball, all runners have to go back. So that's why the guy didn't get to score. But then he didn't score. So that was a huge momentum shift. Um, you know, I feel like Bubba got a lot of uh, kind of bad calls throughout the whole entire regional. Um, at some point, some people were chanting racist uh, in the stands at the at the umps. It was a little fishy. I don't like to pull the race card on every situation. But, you know, UConn guys um, and some other guys on the turfs got better calls than Bubba was getting that I felt like that whole series. And I was there watching it in person. So, um, you know, there were some definitely questionable calls. But then guess what? He also got away with cursing and yelling at the ref while the coach was holding him back and he didn't get tossed. So, you know... You can look at it both ways. I feel like he got a lot of leniency because if uh, somebody was saying F you to my face multiple times, uh, I probably would have tossed him, honestly. Uh, so, so you know, but I think that call was definitely a momentum slash kind of like uh, heart slash backbreaker to the Terps. Uh, they didn't recover after that. You know, best season in franchise slash, you know, program history. Um, so, you know, it was fun. It was a great atmosphere. I really, really hope that, you know, next year they can do the same thing. Um, but so that was what's going on. <sighs> My NHL predictions really took a hit hard because the Avalanche want to be a bunch of dicks and win. Um, you know, I'd said it, though. I said it before the Blue Series. I said they've been the most consistent, you know, just kind of getting things done team all season. And now they're in the finals and they're winning. So, um, the Oilers got swept. I was not expecting that. That was kind of sad. Um, hate, hate that for Leon. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so that's what's going on in the NHL world. Uh, Tampa Bay is trying to get back into the finals. Uh, we'll see if they can make it competitive. Uh, the Avalanche have just been, again, just steady cruising and winning games. And um, and one of the one of the great things I saw, though, and again, this is just kind of. I know a lot of people aren't listening to the podcast for this and, and my tennis analysis, but Rafael Nadal won his 22-second yeah, Grand Slam major. Um, it was really impressive. Uh, his semifinals match was a hell of a match. It was one of the best tennis matches I've ever seen until the guy got injured. A real nasty ankle injury. But the level of tennis and and competitiveness in that match before that guy goes down where he, all of his weight just went onto his ankle on that clay. It was one of the best matches I've seen. Um, him and Djokovic went at it in the quarters, which if you don't know, Djokovic is also one of the greatest tennis players of all time. They're both in the same era. Uh, but Nadal is just the clay king. His dominance on clay is unquestioned. There is no GOAT discussion about this. He is the greatest clay tennis player of all time. For him winning his 14th singles title, at the French Open, to put that into perspective for you, that'd be like Tiger winning 14 Masters and getting 14 Green Jackets. That's the equivalent of this. For a single-player sport, um, his dominance in tennis has been unmatched. Uh, he leads now the titles race for majors uh, at 22, and Djokovic and Federer are still at 20. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, there are rumors that Nadal might retire after this uh, season. I hope he goes out on a Grand Slam, which would mean he would win all four majors. He has two of them down. 
if he could win Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, that would be a way to close out your career. Um, he's had a lot of injuries, and his career is why it's impressive he's doing what he's doing. He came back from a knee injury to win the French. Um, again, I know you guys aren't on here to listen to tennis talk, but just what this man's doing this year is insane at his age after all of his injuries and to win two of the four majors already and to be halfway to a Grand Slam this season. It's something to watch. Just let me just say that. And um, and big shout out, the PGA Golf had a uh, major this weekend too. And his first ever PGA win was a major. So shout out to Matthew Fitzpatrick. Um, won me a little bit of money. So, you know, shout out to him. Uh, with, with, the, with, the, with the Daily Fantasy Sports, you know, I'm on there. Um, but, uh, you know, again, golf this year has been kind of weird and crazy because... Uh, Scotty Scheffler, you probably never heard of him, having one of the craziest, greatest seasons of all time. He's just like top fives. He has like five or six wins. Um, it's a Tiger esque run for this. Again, he's not as flashy. Uh, he's not, but it's just one of those runs where it's like he's just been consistently good, and you're waiting for him to fall off, and he hasn't. Uh, but this year, there's been a lot of competitiveness. It's not one dude just dominating the tour. Um, so if you're into golf, again, it's not that great to watch on TV. It's If you don't like the sport, you're not going to get into it. I know Tiger used to draw a lot of people who are just kind of casual fans in just to watch his dominance. Uh, but the last couple majors have actually gone down to the wire. Um, the last one went into, you know, sudden death. Not sudden death, but like the three-hole playoff. It was uh, – it's, it's, been, it's been cool. So, like, if you're just into sports and you're just into competitiveness, like, again – Hockey playoffs have been competitive. If you watch the majors for tennis, they're competitive. The level of tennis has been raised this year. Uh, golf, again, has come down to the wire. So um, just as other sports out there with you know basketball wrapping up and football not starting, we just want you all to kind of keep your eyes open and just watch anything that you know can kind of keep your competitive juices flowing until football season starts. So that's what's been going on. Uh, in my sports world, and all to Julius for what he's been seeing going on. So to follow up on one of Patrick's points, again, I've admitted on this show before, I don't consider myself a hockey fanatic per se, but I am somebody who finds myself getting into it more and more, especially now that I've recently gone to a couple of games. It kind of makes a difference. So you know, I'm following it. And I tell you as somebody who is not necessarily a hockey fanatic and certainly not a hockey expert, that if you just like competition, I mean, I'm the type of person, you give me two evenly matched teams. I don't care if they're just rec league teams or base league teams, if you're in the military or whatever the case may be. Give me two even competitive teams and I'll watch. So if you're that kind of person who just likes to watch competition, who just likes to watch intensity, who just likes to watch the best at their craft do what they do, the Stanley Cup playoffs, you don't have to be a hockey fan. You don't have to necessarily understand all the rules. If you're just a fan of action, if you're a fan of competition, if you're a fan of skill, get into it. This is this is the perfect time because they're at the Stanley Cup Finals. All you have to do is have a couple game sample and see if you like it. I think you will. That's how it's gone for me. So I've watched the Stanley Cup Finals between the reigning two-time champion Tampa Bay Lightning and the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, and it's been fun to watch. The first game went to overtime. 
the Avalanche were able to pull that out. By the way, I said the Lightning are the defending two-time champs, but the Avalanche are the higher-ranked team going in, so they've got the home ice advantage here. The Avalanche won game two in a historic blowout. That one, that one got pretty ugly. Um, but tonight, Tampa Bay responds with a pretty convincing win of their own, and that was after uh, Colorado came out and scored the first goal of the game. So it could have gotten ugly. The whole series could have gotten ugly. The Stanley Cup Finals could have been over in a couple of days. But uh, the Lightning responded the way I would have wanted the Celtics to, thank you very much, have some fight when you're down in the championship series instead of acting like it's okay to just give up and lose in the championship. Have some pride. So the Lightning had a nice response tonight. It's a 2-1 series. It's a competitive series. Next game will be in Tampa Bay. So even though they're down 2-1, please believe they're still live. They've come back from a 2-0 deficit earlier in this postseason. And you know, I'll, I'll say this about Colorado. Uh, the guy that stands out to me the most for Colorado is Nathan McKinnon. If you watch him play, and again, I'm not going to sit here and act like I've watched 500 of his games, but I've watched enough of him to say, if you watch him play, but those who played old school sports games, like an NBA Jam or something, if you remember NBA Jam, you could have infinite turbo. You could do like juice mode where you have as much turbo as you could the whole game and it like tripled how fast you would move around the court. Nathan McKinnon, and there's other video games where you have like speed boosts and stuff. And again, don't don't think of like the Madden's and things. Think about the more unrealistic game like an NFL Blitz or something. Nathan McKinnon moves like one of those characters. He moves like a Tecmo Bowl Bo Jackson if you're old enough to remember that. I've watched several plays where he's just taking the, the puck from one end of the ice and just literally gone around, again, some of the best skaters in the world. He's just gone around them like they're not moving. Gets the one-on-one with the goalie and, and just puts it in. So his speed stands out in a very fast-paced sport. So Nathan McKinnon is somebody to watch, again, regardless if you're a hockey fan or not. And, you know, again, the Lightning have that championship experience. You're seeing, it's a, tonight you saw, if you watched the game, you saw Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov, two of their best players, really rise to the occasion and accept the challenge of being down 2-0 and being down one nothing in the third game. They really stepped their games up as the best player on a team should do in the finals when you're down, Jason Tatum. So it was nice to see that. It was nice to see their goaltender, Andre Vasilevsky, who's widely considered to be one of the best, if not the best goalies in the sport, really step up after having a very shaky game, too. It's just an all-around bounce-back effort from all the key players from the Lightning. So it was, it was just nice to see. And so, again, if you're a fan of competition, if you're a true sports fan, you're not just a football fan or just a basketball fan, just, I'm, I'm just saying give it a chance. I'm not the biggest NHL ambassador. I might become that, uh, but I'm not there right now. So that was one thing for me. And then uh, the last point I'll get to is kind of random, but it's something that's been on my mind before. I've talked about it in other forms. The format of how the home court or home ice or home field, whatever the sport is, how a seven-game series should work. To me, you know, you're trying to have all these leagues that have, you know, in the case of the NBA, in the case of the NHL, they both have 82-game seasons. In the case of Major League Baseball, you have 162-game seasons. These sports, these leagues want you to believe 
that the regular season is valued. But when you look at how it's handled, each of these sports, you're seeing load management. You're seeing teams say, you know what? It doesn't matter if we don't win today. You're seeing teams just experiment and throw things out there, keeping star players out of games when they're fully healthy and all these other things because these teams, as much as the league tries to convince you, be excited about the regular season. It matters. The teams are telling you with their actions, it doesn't matter. The reason why it doesn't matter is because if you're in a situation where you don't have home court, like the Warriors did in the postseason at one point, they didn't have home court. They weren't a one seed or even a two seed. So they didn't have home court when it came to the series against Memphis. They didn't care. You know why they didn't care? Because after an 82-game season, all you got to do is win one of the first two games, and all of a sudden, you've erased the advantage that the other team built on you over the course of 82 whole games. And again, in baseball, over the course of 162 games, you play 162 games to have game one at home in a particular series. You lose that, and all of a sudden, you don't even have home advantage for the rest of the series. What I think each of these sports should do if you want teams to value the regular season, especially teams who know they're going to be in contention for a championship or at least feel strongly that they will be, give the team with the higher or better seed five out of seven home games in a series. Give them the first three at home and the last two. You want teams to start trying harder in the regular season? You've got to give them a bigger incentive in the postseason. If you think it's not fair, think about football. If you're the last seed to get in in football because everything is one and done, you don't get a home game at any point in the playoffs. And you just have to deal with it. So even if you only get two out of seven home games, you're still better off than you would be in the NFL as a lower seed. That's the biggest change I would make in sports. Make home court or home ice or home field advantage be something that's actually worth chasing. These teams now, they're just like, okay, we don't care if we get a two-seed or a three-seed or a four-seed. We'd rather rest our star players than chase seeding. I don't like that. I don't like seeing at the end of the season everybody who's positioned to be in the postseason start to pull their players because resting a guy a whole week before the playoffs matters more than getting a one seed versus a two seed. No, I want you to want to fight for that one seed all the way down to the end. But I also want to give you incentive to do so. So I'll say it again. For every league that does the best of seven series, give the team with the better seed the first three games at home, the last two games at home. Give them five out of seven home games and see if that helps the competition in the regular season because something needs to be done. We see way too many teams take way too many nights off in sports. We already know the bad teams are going to take nights off because they're tanking. We don't need a situation where the bad teams and the good teams are taking nights off. Do something about it. That's one thing you can do about it. While I agree with your philosophy, it'll never happen because of money. It will never happen because of money. Uh, Every league knows it. Uh, the thing about football, to your point about the football, it's because they don't have one team hosting the championship, right? It's at a neutral site, uh, unless you're the Rams or the Buccaneers the last two years. But 
normally it's a neutral. <laughs> normally it's a neutral site. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you to the extent that it doesn't seem like anyone cares about home field, court, ice, whatever it is anymore. It doesn't. It seems like that whole mindset is kind of out the window. And I don't know if it's because I don't want to say fans aren't as rowdy because I mean that Boston Warriors series, you know, F Draymond and F Boston and all this stuff. Um, but uh, I, I don't know what it is. I, I, I don't think players, you know, I mean, look what happened with Boston in game six. They're at home. Like you said, they came out 12, two. And then after that, it was kind of just like, all right, whatever. Like, even their crowd couldn't get them back into it, right? And it, and um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if there's just a different type of mentality, mindset with, with players and fans and things like that. Like, maybe it makes a difference in football because not every stadium is a dome, right? Like, the Packers getting home field should mean more to the Packers because they play in the cold right. versus, like, you know, I, like if the Texans got home field because the Texans are in a dome, right? Like, I mean, I just, I just don't know. I feel like maybe home field is bigger in football, but even Green Bay lost to San Francisco, so I don't know. Right. But, right. again, it just doesn't seem like you would think the – normally if you're the higher seed, you're the better team, right? But as you saw this year in the East, like the top four seeds were almost all the same record. So, and again, the Heat lost on their home court. You know, the Bucks lost on their – like it's just – for game six, sorry. They lost in game six, but it was they had home court back, right? Because they had won in Boston. And to your point, they had lost Boston had lost home court advantage. Uh but then Milwaukee lost in game six anyway, even though they were home. Um you know, so I just I just don't know if it's as big of a deal anymore. I don't know why. Like it's you seem it seems like it used to be a bigger deal than it is nowadays. It seems like you said like the athletes just don't care, the teams just don't care, but It'll never happen because of money purposes. They'll never give, you know, San Francisco five games and give Boston two because, you know, of money purposes. So, but I'm with you. It should it should hold more weight and more value because if not, something needs to happen, right? There needs to be something. Maybe the one seed, maybe the incentive could be like if you're the one seed, you don't get the last draft pick. Maybe you get the last, for the NBA, maybe you get the last draft pick of the lottery. Maybe you get number fifteen if you get a, the one seed, right? Maybe it's something like something like that. If you're not going to change how you seed the playoffs and and do the TV deals and rights and blah 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 blah, maybe there is something for being the best in the regular season. Because just because you're the best in the regular season doesn't mean you're going to win the championship. Maybe you get something for being the number one seed and being the best over eighty two. Yeah, something needs to change. I'm with you. Maybe there needs to be an incentive somewhere that. If you have the best record, like again, Green Bay went fourteen and two or something this year, and they were out in the first round that they got to play, right? No. Uh, so maybe there's an incentive for that. But then again, people will say it's the regular season, and regular seasons don't matter, right? So I mean, I, I don't know. You know, you're not going to please everybody. Uh, it's just one of those things. Like people will complain about everything, and then if something changes, they complain about something else. So you know, I, who knows what the right answer is? No one's ever going to be had. But I'm with you. I feel like home court field ice just isn't the same and just isn't as valued as it used to be. Cause again, the warriors were content being a three seed, you know, the bucks and the Celtics and the 76ers, they were content not, you know, being the one seed. And then again, trying to not play the nets was the, 
was the you know spin on why they seated themselves the way they did uh which doesn't make any sense because the Nets were in the play-in and anybody could have gotten the seven seat. So again, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense that that theory is dumb. But anyway, so um, uh, yeah. But anyway, so yeah, that's just it's it's that's an interesting concept, and I and I'm with you on it. I feel like you need to make if all these sports are saying how important the regular season is, that's why they're not going to cut the games down because they don't care about player safety. Let's be honest, um, unless it unless it's a superstar. You know that's when they that's when they care about player safety, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not going to cut the seasons down or anything like that. Like there needs to be some there needs to be some incentive for, for example, if in baseball, if you like last year, the Dodgers won like 118 games or something, right? Like then they have nothing to show for it. But if you're the, the most consistent team for the entire season and putting a product out there for MLB, so there are people who show up to the games every single day. You should be rewarded for that, but yes. I don't. I don't know the answer, but I'm with you. That's a that's a very very interesting concept. Um, so yeah, that's what's going on in the sports world for Julius and myself. Um, you know, we appreciate y'all being on this podcast and listening to us and 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 following us on this journey. Um, so what's what's to come with the podcast? So obviously, I know myself and Julius were really really excited about the NFL season. Uh, we got lots of good stuff coming out. So for example. Uh, we got power rankings. We got bold predictions. We have, um, you know, the analysis, week to week analysis. We have, we're going to have the predictions. We're going to have, um, you know, once the playoffs start, who, the same thing we did with the NBA, who we think is going to win, what's going to happen. Uh, and then just to kind of see where our draft analysis falls for this year, trying to see what happens. Um, I'm really interested to see how the rookies play. Um, especially some of the ones that we, you know, in the later rounds that we were like, watch out for these guys or, you know, um, some some of the higher grades that Julius and myself had. I'm excited to see some of these corners we were talking about, you know, back in the draft and, and seeing if they get any PT because there are a lot of corners that are 6'2", six, 6'3", six, from smaller schools that run like 4'4s, four, you know, that I'm interested to see what they do on the NFL stage. Um, and and so I'm, I'm excited for this NFL season. Uh, I'm excited to see just a lot of things that's going to happen. So, you know, that's 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 to come in a couple months. Um, we'll definitely do a couple more podcasts before the NFL season starts. Uh, I'm sure we'll discuss some Major League Baseball. You know, uh, MLS is happening right now. If there's anything else interesting happening in the sports world, we'll definitely discuss that. Um, so I just hope you all stay tuned uh, can, and, and hope to enjoy the content that we're putting out. Um, and I'll let Julius wrap this thing up today, and uh, we'll talk to you guys on the next episode. All right. I look forward to what we have going on in the summer. I know for a lot of sports fans out there, this starts to become the, the toughest time of the year. You know, basketball season just ended. Football season feels like it's a long way away, even though it tends to creep up in a hurry once it gets close. But, uh, you know, a lot of guys are looking for things to kind of carry them over for what they consider the lull in the schedule. But I will continue to have fresh material. I look forward to talking about different rankings, where we're spotting guys, what kind of projections we have for the upcoming football season. I look forward to talking about a little baseball. And well, we know there are things that, you know, just happen in the summer that things that you can't predict or see coming. So, you know, we plan to touch on a little of everything as we take pride in doing on the show, as we did tonight. Uh, with our takes towards the end of the show. So uh, we look forward to diversifying our talk and 
keeping everything fresh. I look forward to doing that. Also, did want to just kind of close out on uh, just my previous thought about the whole uh, making five out of seven home games. And Patrick's absolutely right about the money thing. For me, the money is part of why I want it to happen because even if the players aren't motivated to get home court, if you make five out of seven home games, the owners will be motivated to get that, that extra playoff revenue. And if you own the Chase Center in San Francisco, you want those extra your home games so you're going to tell your players you better work harder to get more money pumped into this brand new overly expensive arena in this brand new overly expensive area of california that we moved into so i still think that if you did it the owners would know what time it is and from the top down there would be directive for players to play harder consistently throughout the regular season to that point i would also revolutionize the draft lottery, because I think the draft lottery is way off. Teams don't care about odds being even if you're the first, as far as the first worst team, second worst team, third worst team. They don't care about that. So my system would be there'd be no lottery. I'd take all the teams that missed the playoffs and say, whoever, again, out of the teams that missed the playoffs, whoever had the best record for the last 20 games of the season would get the number one pick. So best record last 20 games of the season for teams that weren't playoff teams. That way, even your losers have something to play for. Again, even if the players don't care, the players don't care where their teams pick, but the front office cares, the coaches care, the people who make decisions on whether or not you get playing time care, the people who make decisions on your next contract care about where they pick in the draft. So that's just something I would do. Is it a bit extreme? Yeah. Is it a bit radical? It sure is. But I'll need something done radically to change the lottery because the way it is right now, I'm sorry. I'm tired of seeing eight, nine, ten teams in every sport every season not even trying to win. Let's stop incentivizing losing and let's start incentivizing at least competing even if you are a mediocre team. So that's my part and thought for the day. And if you want to play in tournament, you should do the last – Six teams that are terrible, they have a playing tournament for the first pick in the draft. No more lottery. That's that. That's the idea right there. Play Reward to see winning. if... Yes. <laughs> you're the six worst teams in the NBA, or the eight worst teams. Now you're playing one March Madness-style tournament <laughs> to see who gets the first pick in the draft. That's that's That would be the idea. That would make money. I guarantee you that would generate some revenue right there. There you go. <laughs> so yeah we appreciate y'all listening to us uh stay tuned for more great content uh and we'll see y'all throughout the summer and we look forward to the nfl season thank you for listening to the two guys four balls podcast